exterior, New York street, evening. All right. I'm tired of having to kill all those people that I killed. One day, a man has to face consequences for his actions. You know what I'm saying? Watch out, there's a car coming. I come in and pull you away from the car that's coming coming past. Oh, you saved my life. <laughs> How can I ever repay you? Uh, all I want is to be called a terrific Gilliam man. Could you do me that one small favor? What the fuck no. kind of name is that? <laughs> it's something my dad used to call me. He died recently and I'm just kind of missing that connection with the world. So I thought it was one small thing you could do to reach out and help another fellow man. Okay, terrific Gilliam man. If, if that gets you started, <laughs> whatever. I'm, I'm rock hard right now. All right. So let's talk about Time Bandits, Adrian. I hope bandits. you're a better editor than a than a <laughs> skit director because. Huh? What? what? Director DVD. Adrian, did you know what, what you were in for? Did you know to, what to expect from this film? Nothing. Yet I was disappointed. <laughs> well, you didn't like it. I, no, it, it was, I mean, it's very rough around the edges. The main thing that I didn't like, you follow this kid around. You see him at home in Britain. And then one day he goes to bed and there just so happens to come out of his closet, six door. I think one died. Wait, not at the start though, like right at the start? Not at the start, no. But they, I mean, they talked about how one had previously died which is why there's only six oh, so it's like a riff on um can we say dwarf i think it's little people isn't it i'm reading the plot it says six dwarf i guess it is kind of fantasy i don't know so it starts off in this very kind of like 80s the upper working class home all the sofas have got like shrink wrapped plastic on them the mum and the dad are sitting on separate sofas presumably because they've got this kind of relationship where they're not on the best terms they don't really understand their little boy all he wants to do is like imagine and play like make-believe but they're very much like you have to be regular you have to be a normal person watch tv eat your dinner you little cunt yeah don't forget to eat your vegetables and wait one hour before you go to bed is that a thing you know i was asking because i saw this movie with somebody and i was asking them like well, is that a thing people say in the uk they were like yeah you have to digest before you go to bed because otherwise your stomach stops digesting and we we go up to this boy's room and he's got <laughs> all these props that kind of tie into what happens in the film later on so it's like a picture of napoleon so knights like a greek warrior and the first thing that comes through his closet is the horses right it's not horses it's the one knight with a horse but that was just to show like he has a very vivid imagination and he likes the middle ages and he likes that kind of stuff no it's to establish the fact there's a hole in his room right like a time hole which is what the little people eventually fall out no well yes kind of because when the knight comes through the the closet he doesn't have the map which would allow him to travel between places, right? Yeah, but the map like helps you navigate it, right? Maybe he just accidentally fell through. I thought that's, that's, that was what I got from it. I well, think that it's, was just a dream. It's very much up for debate, Adrian, and that, that's probably a classic feature of Terry Gilliam films is like no, multiple interpretations. It's not <laughs> up for debate. You can, you can it just a, say I'm right. We're debating about it right now, so of course it's up for debate. I'm not debating with you. I'm right and you're wrong. It's as simple well, as that. The, that's, that's the essence of a debate, isn't it? Is one person <laughs> no, thinks they're right. It's not thinking that I'm right. I am right. That's the difference. I'd say it's up for interpretation. Artistic, artistic license. 
And then the um, basic plot of the film then, just to finish off, is they go through several time periods through these holes and it's the boy and the, the time bandit and they're trying to rob like historic treasures, yeah, aren't they, from different periods lot of A lot of set pieces. You have Napoleon, you have fucking ancient Greece, you have Middle Ages, uh, you have like Titanic, you have Robin Hoods. One of the biggest faults of the movie is that it, it just goes wherever. There's no real goal for these little people. They just want to steal some stuff and not get their map stolen from them by gods. Yeah, but isn't the whole point is like this kind of fantasy adventure kind of thing? If that doesn't catch you, then you're just like, when is this movie going to end? When is anything going to happen? It is very long, I'll give you that. And they perhaps could have done it a bit more tightly or succinctly. Maybe cut out a couple of the time periods because a couple of them just seem like a way to like get in a famous person. Like John Cleese is Robin Hood. Sean Connery yeah. is Agam- Agamemnon. Those were, that's the worst, maybe the worst part of this movie is you have Time Bandit starring John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Michael Palin. They appear in like 1% of the movie. Then it's like the little people and the kids. So the yeah, core it, idea. Yeah, you know, okay, shut up. There's like <laughs> all these all these actors and they appear in like 1% of the movie each. Uh, Sean Connery, he has like two lines. His character goes nowhere. They don't reappear. There's no like arc for their character. They just kind of there. Even if that's the point of the movie, that doesn't make it good right what do you think about the giant holographic face that appears several times <laughs> is that even a question what did i think of the face <laughs> it's a question i thought that was that was an effect and there's a lot of kind of fantasy elements like that throughout isn't there like the big dungeons at the end where it's like a labyrinth beneath a bottomless pit i think when the film gets more fantastical and kind of embraces its weirdness it is more successful than just the scene where it's like a guy fighting in a helmet and then he takes it off and you're like is that Sean Connery? And then it's kind of over and he's not in the film anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. I think the best part is part where and it's like well, but this is crazy pet and can't see anything there's no light because you can't see anything there's no sense of depth anything you're just like a little scared for these characters uh, that you've come to know I won't say no and love how could you not love fidget there's not been that many like moments of humanity with them like the, the one little person is like comical asshole like hey come on Kate we gotta steal the-. like there's no moment where he goes oh maybe I shouldn't have continued stealing there's no moment where he's like saying sorry to God, he's just like, I guess we stole the map. It seems, it seems like if... The Hobbit, in that way, the Hobbit films, where there are so many characters and they're not distinct enough from each other that they just all blend into one. Are you saying that because they're also little people? No, the actors in The Hobbit were actually big people. So, Are you saying that because the characters are little people? No, I'm saying because there's a lot of them introduced very quickly in succession and they're not really given enough time or focus to, to shine. Uh, I'll let it slide for now. Well, how many of the six little people featured in this film do you think are still alive Adrian? This film came out in 1981 it's 40 years later. I say none. One. Wow. Actually one and a half because one of them doesn't have a Wikipedia page that's the one who's called Tiny Ross that's his stage name. Tiny Ross. Tiny Rick. Yeah no I got it. Tiny Ross doesn't have a a Wikipedia page. Who else isn't dead then? A lot of them were heavily featured in Star Wars films did you know that? So one of them was Kenny Baker who was the guy inside R2-D2. Oh really? Yeah. And then the rest of them are kind of like 
Ugnaughts or Ewoks or wherever they needed um, Munchkins. Kind of, uh, yeah, a lot of them have appeared in Wizard of Oz as well. We can go uh, through them if you want. I don't know how exciting that is. No, we're not going to go through the actors for, for for that, but they really like have nothing, these poor guys. Yeah, know? like you can, at least like Peter Dinklage has managed to make like a career that's not all based on like a gimmick. I think it Do was you, very difficult in the 80s to be a little is he an person. an actual actually. little person or is he a small guy? He has dwarfism, yeah. So <laughs> who is the little person, Randall? Who is he to you? All right, this is where I lift the curtain on my life. I saw this movie five hours ago now. I don't know who Randall is. Is that uh, the main uh, little person? I believe so. And the actor committed suicide in 1990 by shooting himself in the chest. That seems like an inefficient way to go. Well, Robin was telling me earlier, little people, because of their physique, all their organs are very close together. So if they get any damage, it's very difficult to operate on. Maybe that led to it. I don't know. It's a tall people world. And his credits include the role of dwarf in <laughs> t- Turkish Delight. Oh boy. One of Tom Thumb's army in Blackjack. Jesus in Cuba. He played Jesus, apparently, in a, f- a film called Cuba. Yeah, I'm, also, I'm on also, the same Wikipedia page. Right? <laughs> also starring Sean Connery. <laughs> that is the issue with this wizard. podcast. Wow. It becomes <laughs> people just <laughs> reading things off the internet. And there was he had his own comedy, apparently, called Luigi's Ladies, where he played Luigi. The movie Cuba, where he plays Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and By the way, I think it's Jesus because it's Cuba. The little kid, Kevin, he's... That's his only role, basically, ever. He's not really done anything else. What do you think he looks like now, though? Do you think he's done, like, the Edward Furlong kind of grow outwards? Or do you think he's, like, Macaulay Culkin and just really stretched out? And He's good-looking, I think. No, he's sexy, man. I'd fuck him. This show should be... Imagine renamed. just working a regular office job and then being like, yo, I actually played Kevin in Time Bandit. What? Who? What? <laughs> Sean Connery had sex with me when I was a kid. Oh. I don't think Sean Connery was on set long enough to have sex with anyone, to be honest. <laughs> he really showed up like an hour, boy. Then Kenny Baker was Fidget. Fidget is the one that almost dies at the end, but then it doesn't die. Then you don't really care that he dies or not. I was just kind of like, no, I heard his name once or twice. <laughs> and he was in The Elephant Man, directed by David Lynch. Flash Gordon, where he plays Dwarf. Circus of Horrors, where he was uncredited, but he plays Dwarf. Oh, boy. Plume yeah. Dwarf, he played in The Elephant Man. It's like if I starred as human. Like, that's so <laughs> insulting, isn't it? He was in Labyrinth as one of the goblins. Oh my At least God. they got R2-D2 back, like the actual guy for the prequels. Because they could have just CGI'd it. And then we had Malcolm Dixon as Strutter. Strutter, time, bandits. Oh, <laughs> boy. It. That defeats no, the okay. Oh, he was the one with the, the glasses. <laughs> he actually had glasses. He played an Oompa Loompa in the original Willy Wonka movie and also an Ewok. Leektar, the Ewok warrior. And then we've got Mike Edmonds as Og. Oh, Og. Oh, he gets turned into a pig. <laughs> he does. He gets turned he into does. a pig. Yes, he does. Good. They do a lot of performances in this film, don't they? Like, they dress up in costumes at one point. They perform from Napoleon. Not enough, yeah. though. There's not enough going on. Not enough performances. You wanted more. Uh, more not dancing. enough of anything. Not enough of anything. <laughs> I'd say there's too much. Yeah, I guess. Depends how you see it. I see it as not enough plot. So Mike Edmonds played an Ugnaught. <laughs> He played Lograve, the Ewok. He played um, the character of First Jew in Salome's Last Dance. 
he was in Philosopher's Stone and Deathly Hollows Part Two as an uncredited goblin. Oh, sh- <laughs> uncredited goblin, man! You you want that? And he um, is still alive, actually. He's seventy six right now. Isn't that remarkable for dwarfism? No, like Kenny Baker lived to be about eighty. I think generally, uh, people with dwarfism tend to live much less long. Let's Google that, all right? Because we're Googling everything else in the words world. <laughs> Finally, we've got Jack Purvis as Wally. Oh, Wally was the final dwarf. <laughs> he attended auditions, auditions for R2-D2 with Kenny Baker, but Kenny yeah. Baker was be- better. But then uh, Jack Purvis went on to play a character in each of the Star Wars. So he's a chief Jawa in the first, a chief Ugnaught in Empire, and finally he's Tebow, who I assume is an Ewok in Return of the Jet. I mean, I don't want to be insulting, but how can you play R2-D2 better than someone else? Presumably it's like pretty dark in there and complicated, so... Oh, is that... Would that be it? I don't know. That's something you'd have to ask Kenny Baker about, but you can't because he died. Oh, damn. And finally, Tiny Ross as Vermin, who, as we said previously, did not does not have a Wikipedia page. He's the one with like the big beard. I thought that was Wally. Well, <laughs> this uh, highlights a problem with the film. Well, yeah, because I saw it like five five hours ago. So. And when they first come into the bedroom, did you notice that kind of hallway, like the perspective shot? Perspective shots are used throughout the film. But they use right at the start with this. They push this wall and it forms this hallway as they're doing it, and they're being chased by this holographic face down it, and they. Yeah. Use that technique in Hellraiser as well. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, for the uh, for the thing, a similar effect, isn't it? Which I think is pretty effective. Like it looks really cool. I think so. Yeah. You don't sound like it, mate. If you're yawning while you say it. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm I'm tired. When you yawn, you're not actually like necessarily bored. Actually, I never yawn when I'm bored. It's usually when I'm tired because that's what people do. People only yawn when they when they're bored. Is like a joke, don't they? Like yeah, but I I've never understood that because like that that that's not well, if someone is know. so boring they're kind of putting you to sleep i guess that's <laughs> that's another issue that's called narcolepsy Then they go to the time of legends, which yeah, is like damn. the ultimate fantasy world, right? Like the kind of pinnacle. Yeah, of, damn legend. Like the, the whole third act, and they travel in this ship that's actually a hat. Yeah, but before then, the ship belonged to uh, an ogre. What is the accent? Trying to be uh, the Shrek accent. Well, Mike Myers in Shrek. Ogre. An ogre. Like Don't care. You Somebody know. stop me. <laughs> That's the mask. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> this isn't a Shrek podcast. This is a Time Bandits podcast. Yeah, I think Fidget said that little people had layers at some point in the movie. Did he actually? No. Oh. He didn't He didn't have a single line in the movie. What about Sean, though? Is he looking past his peak? Kind Pre-Highlander 2 and post-Zardos, I think. 
Oh god. True. So he's aging a bit. I mean, it's pretty clearly a wig, right? That he's wearing. Like that's not his real hair. Oh, you know, I didn't even look at it, but you're right. Wow, I think Zardoz is probably. I mean, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But there's a connection between this and Zardoz actually, because a Sean Connery obviously, and then b there's like an invisible wall near the yeah. end that they kind of break through as if it's the fourth wall, which I thought was quite a cool bit. And then they end up yeah. in like the behind the scenes where the gods live. Anyway. You know, they're doing a Time Bandits TV show, right? They have, or they're doing. Taika Waititi is involved in adapting it to TV for Apple TV Plus. Uh, why? There's nothing in this movie. There's nothing. <laughs> why would they want to? T- Every episode could be a different time period. Wouldn't that be cool? Is that what they're going to do? I don't think it is. I don't know if it would be like an hour-long drama or will it be like 20-minute more co- comedy, like sitcom episodes? What do you think would work well? Not doing a Time Bandit series. <laughs> they could do it like um, The Mandalorian, where it's like half-hour episodes, high-budget, strong concept for each one, lots of big guest stars. For Time Bandits? <laughs> yeah, for like, Time Bandits. Have we seen the same? Like, has, have these guys... They're really strapped for ideas when they have to like reuse a one time out there idea from like I could understand making a Brazil TV show because that's really like that's a stepping stone for the science fiction genre. I don't think Time Bandits is the same for the fancy genre. But it's very farcical, I'd say, the tone throughout. Pretty broad comedy. Like there's a bit is where they're all broad? dressed up in the broad. Yeah, is it broad? I'd say it's broad. So you're saying this movie is for everyone? I'd say that kind of like slapstick practical humor is um pretty mainstream yeah i wouldn't say the movie itself is for everyone so it's probably a good kids movie and that's something we talked about with jabberwocky so adrian is this a kids movie that's a good question i i mean (laughs) he said last time and say well kids could watch it but is it a kids movie i don't know i I think kids could watch it but is it is it a kids movie well kids could watch this one that's for sure (laughs) something that i've seen while researching time bandits is that it's known as imagination trilogy or whatever terry gilliam calls it which is to say that the first movie in that trilogy is time bandits and it's like the child age right so it's imagination's seen through the eyes of a child then brazil is the second movie we'll talk about in next that's seen through the eyes of a middle-aged man and then the adventures of baron munchausen is like presumably an old man with munchausen syndrome uh, you think i mean maybe not the syndrome but if my research is correct it is the final part of the trilogy and it and that, narrates... that research by the way is like first paragraph of the wikipedia yes. page for time bandits like yes. it's oh, very extensive i didn't say it was very deep research <laughs> i said it was research research i guess is as good kind as... of like a spiritual trilogy in the same way that like the conetto trilogy is a spiritual trilogy but there aren't characters that carry over uh, could you call the conetto trilogy just spiritual when so much of it is like it's the same structure it's the same like uh almost down to the editing which is this is very similar because it's the same director we've not seen the same the next two have you have you seen brazil or the adventures of Baron no Munchausen? but that's i'm talking about the Cronado trilogy now because i'm bored uh, sorry i'm not bored how I'm could tired. how could you be bored by, by time, time bandit? Bandit? wow i don't how could know you be bored of long scenes of michael palin and shelly Duvall? like it's not long bits. that's the thing i wouldn't be bored of long scenes with michael palin and shelly Duvall. i'm not kidding when i say they appear in a minute in 30 30 seconds of the whole entire movie and the movie is two hours long and they're the first names on the credit what is that well they're the most famous people in it aren't they like no one's gonna watch this for the kid or for any of the little people actors because they're not 
famous. It promises a lot at the start with these big names in the opening credits, and then they're not really the focus. Another spiritual trilogy is the... The Star Wars prequels, and the Star Wars sequels, and the original trilogy. They're all spiritual the... trilogies. No, I think it's the Radio Gnome Invisible part. Uh, one, two, and three. So Gong, Angel's Egg, and you, the fine team. Yeah, me <laughs> No, it's a band called Gong. It's progressive rock. Our readers or listeners will get it. <laughs> they won't. Cal, please. You're getting edited out, mate. Oh, shit. Um, there's, a, there's a trilogy, like there's the Richard Linklater trilogy where it's like before midnight, before sunrise, those three. You know, he did Boyhood. You know, Boyhood took, took 12 years to make. You knew I didn't that, know, right? actually. No, wow, that's incredible. Wasn't there a French director who did like three films and they were called Blue, White, and Red and it made up the French flag i don't know that why not it's I part mean, of your culture okay just because i'm french doesn't mean that i've lived more outside of france in my whole life than i have lived in france because i've lived in other places that's the difference between you and i i mean i don't know that much about like the one specific french director which may or may not be real by the way you might have invented that <laughs> no, it's Chris, have just... i've just found it it's called chris he's called christoph kaislowski he's <laughs> polish he's not even french oh my god but it's called a uh, tracoleur that's what it's called and they're called bleu blanc it's called Three Brothers. Two Brothers. Uh, it looks really bad. <laughs> a recurring image in it is that of elderly people recycling bottles. Mm. <laughs> fascinating. No, you don't understand. It's it's like it's like art, man. It's like art. <laughs> That's like national filmmaking is cool because so much of the films that get funded, like especially like big big budget films, are from Hollywood. So it's cool to see little plucky countries like France getting it together and making their own little attempts at filmmaking. It's cute. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to the movie. So the, there's a bit. The first place they go to is um, like Napoleonic France. I don't really know a lot about Napoleon, Adrian. So I, I thought you could educate me on who Napoleon is, what his deal was. Well, first of all, I don't know if you paid any attention because that was that was actually in Italy. It was the Battle of Castiglione oh, in right. Italy. See, this is what I need. I don't know. I don't know these things. Napoleon was a dictator in uh, an emperor in France at emperor. some point. Yeah, he called himself emperor. He Did was, he have a whole uh, empire though? Was it just was it just France that he had? No, he. It stretched fairly big in his in his heyday, but then it wasn't a good place to be for for an emperor. The economic model, nostalgic for those days. I don't, but some French people do because they're taught in school that Napoleon is the best thing since sliced bread. You know, is he there? Uh, no, he was a dictator and an emperor how less self-explanatory can i get so you've just explained something french to me napoleon i thought i could explain something english to you please don't say robin hood no i assume you know who robin hood is punch and judy i was going to explain are you familiar with that ah i'm not so they're two little puppets and the the man one drinks a lot and then beats his wife called judy and this was like <laughs> you'd go down to the fairground or like the pier like blackpool and there'd be some like old man smoking a fag and puppeting these guys around <laughs> And encouraging domestic violence and that's a British institution that that's uh, Punch and Judy uh, I mean I knew some obviously puppetry is a thing that it also exists in France uh, but it turns out that when Napoleon sees the puppetry he goes like he likes it a lot just because it's little people fighting each other here more literally little people that have dwarfism yeah well they're not people are they so they're puppets how can you judge 
the quality of a man. Well, they're not men, they're puppets. <laughs> well, we are all puppets to the machine, Joe. I don't see how that's any relevant to... You're really trying to argue with me that <laughs> there's no <laughs> logical, uh, epistemological distinction between a puppet and a living, breathing human man. Zing. Take that up, yeah. So we go to Nottingham in Robin Hood times, where John Cleese plays... Robin Hood. What what a funny guy John Cleese is. How funny he is. That whole bit was just... I mean, I, I get it. It's like, oh, he's very nice. And then... No, you know, the one bit that did make me laugh was that his assistant didn't speak English and he started just punching elderly people. See, that's funny that. John Cleese, I guess, needed to be needed to be there to be the straight man for this other insane, more funny guy to be funny. But I still didn't think it was um, of, of a lot of interest, let's say. You're very critical of Time Bandits, it seems, Adrian. It might just be my small brain, but do, do you, you disagree watch, with like, me? You'll watch like eight-hour live streams of like people playing Hearthstone. So for an actual well-made film, <laughs> to be boring to you is pretty pretty extreme I, first of all i've never watched a live stream of hearthstone in my life second of all i do watch some live streams or vods i suppose that's for another type of appeal than like a well-crafted movie right yeah like you have them on in the background maybe while you're doing something else while this i'm sure you gave your full attention to for the whole yeah. one hour and 56 minutes and what else like, did you do where did your mind wander while you were watching time bandit well i was talking to the person i was seeing the movie with what did they think about it as well did they enjoy it they did yeah they thought it was a good <laughs> movie because they didn't like jabberwocky right is that the same person no that was another person and the other like, person did like jabberwocky so I'm, um, I'm seeing these movies with people that appreciate them more and yet you're doing the podcast with me it's a win-win situation oh well i like terry gilliam you <laughs> seem to not like him so i do i do i, I do <laughs> i do like him i like the movie i like what it tries to do the the whole like set piece comedy uh go back in time like i was thinking this during the movie the fact that you can explain diegetically a joke that does that wouldn't make sense otherwise uh for example if you have like punch and judy for example you can explain that diegetically using like the fact that you have dwarves traveling traveling time basically so they can like bring things from one dimension to another or one time period to another so that makes sense right your your suspension of disbelief is fully you're fully immersed right it's just that it's boring. It's very quick paced and like you do get the idea that anything can happen, like it's this kind of imaginative world. Yeah, I think Don't sound super into that, mate. Yeah, I don't sound super into imagination. Yeah. If you ever do one of these and someone tells you that, just like shoot him. You just told me that. <laughs> oh god. First of all I didn't. Second of all, please don't shoot me. Please, oh god. Third of all, yeah. Funny bit insert funny bit here you'd have to have said one first mate what do you think of uh what do you think of dwarf number seven man he was pretty interesting we've not talked about the villain yet he has this very kind of like hr geiger like tentacle helmet with a skull on it that's quite distinctive and all his henchmen have like these horns they look like human rhinos hr gygax geiger gary gygax hr geiger who designed the alien the xenomorph gary gygax who created dungeons and dragons no I saw a guy on Reddit flex once that had played D&D with Gary Gygax. Like, he came up to two people talking about D&D, and he was like, actually, I've played it with its creator, so here's my opinion. That doesn't make you any better at D&D. It's, it's a game where you can do whatever the hell you can think of. So for this guy to say, like, 
Oh man, I'm playing it with Gary Gygax. But the villain's yeah, literally well. called evil. He's kind of a counterpart, I'd say, to the supreme being, God. Oh, you would say? <laughs> yeah, I don't I know what that. makes you say that. <laughs> it's pretty open to interpretation. Not spelled Not out. Obvious. Yeah, no, so he is like, you know, the Satan to the gods, the dark to the white chocolate to the salt shaker give me 10 more okay the Fortnite to the PUBG, the fascist to the communist oh shit i have to start with something bad right so yeah the fascist to the communist the gandhi to the malcolm x uh the bartender to the bar attendee the patron the freddie gibbs to any other rapper bold claims (laughs) it's due to the manipulations of evil that kevin then arrives in ancient Greece. Clearly all like shot and set, like some nice big wide shots of these big kind of mountains and dunes. And it starts with this big fight where it's this guy in a helmet. How would you describe the guy who's fighting? Kind of like a boar man. A, like a, a kind minotaur. Of min- <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is what it is, isn't it? Was that a bit or did you not get the word minotaur? I mean, it's unclear really whether it is an actual minotaur or just a guy with a fancy helmet, isn't it? No, no, it's just a minotaur. I think that's even more obvious than the dream bit the start of the movie and that was already fairly obvious and it's designed kind of in the same way as Jabberwocky I'd say like this man with this big hat on it did remind me of that yeah uh, by the way talking about the costumes uh, sorry to make a little diversion on that but at the start of the movie you see a knight coming out of the closet and the knight has a costume from Monty Python and the Holy Grail this guy could not live down the fact that he did one of the most successful movies of all time well it's like Nas releasing Illmatic is his first album isn't it it's kind of you've you've peaked and then where'd you go from there Uh, you know a lot of people make the case that Nas is really good throughout and I'm just like no have you listened to any other rapper frankly I think Illmatic is like okay right like what else is there in this discography there's Stillmatic later on yes Stillmatic all the covers have like those weird kind of 90s graphics where it's all really obviously photoshopped and looks fucking ridiculous but it's the same thing with uh, like Jay-Z I'm sure if you were alive at the time they were coming out it would be pretty exciting but looking back at them they're just a lot of the same thing i feel as rapper Tyler the creator used to say in search of did more for me than illmatic nas had an a whole ass album produced by if i'm not mistaken produced by kanye west right well it was only seven tracks it was they called it an album i feel like it was more of an ep really but okay he had a whole ass ep produced by kanye west and it still was trash i don't mind cop shot the kid i think everything is a pretty good song but there is like that one anti-vax line that's pretty stupid bonjour that like the um, sample in bonjour whoa cutting whoa brilliant commentary on this terry gilliam i'm sorry man <laughs> time bandits you just they're just not much you know there's so much though there's like about eight different time periods they jump between please uh, ask me questions i'll be happy to answer let's get back <laughs> to the movie talk about the Does final it... fight at the end which i thought was quite cool they go into this like massive yeah. fight chamber I you know, know. Like, all the time bandits come in with like weapons from throughout history and they're fighting him. It's exciting, but then like the fact that they go individually and they take their sweet old time is like because it's it kind of feels like the end of Jabberwocky where it drags on and it's like very slow and and they do the same thing they kind of did at the end of um, Holy Grail where they just God turns up like I think in that they're just like oh it was a movie the whole time and the cameraman's dead so it's over but yeah. in this God God just rocks up and he was like this was all my plan the whole time I'll defeat evil time bandits come with me Kevin go back home your parents are dead. 
Fucking the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail was also lame, I thought. Shitty battle that ends with like Arthur getting imprisoned. I mean the rest of the movie is like really funny, but that just they just like didn't know how to end the movie kinda. Do these guys not know how to end movies? That's been the connecting thread. Both of the movies I think have good endings. Even well actually no. You know what? No, fuck fuck this movie this movie has a terrible ending well it kind of breaks apart doesn't it and he's in his home which is on fire and sean connery's one of the firemen so it's kind of maybe implied that it all happened in his head and he has uh, the, the 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 photographs anyway so he knows it's real so why was sean connery the fireman then because they had him for an extra day and he's the most well-known guy of them all i guess and then so evil splits apart into lots of pieces god says make sure you get all those pieces you fucking idiot time bandits they miss one it gets trapped in the toaster causes the fire and then his parents touch it his parents kind of the villains of the film i'd say at least kind of the villains of the larger narrative and then they blow up and they're dead and it just kind of pulls back on this kid just sitting there watching his parents like smoldering shoes and their disintegrated bodies and the camera just pulls away and then the supreme being like picks up the map if you wanted to have like read an allegory into this you could say that the kid is held back by his parents and the only way of escaping this mediocre family is through his imagination right and that's why at the end that causes him to imagine that his parents like get exploded by by the evil or whatever and that sean connery is actually the fire truck yes there are possibly two interpretations there and there's evidence for each of them so the photographs still being there as evidence it was real the fact that uh, that, that that those could have been like any photographs right but just him imagining these were the photographs he took in in Greece. And I like that it's kind of ambiguous at the end because you don't need to wrap everything up with a nice little bow. And Yeah, but then that feels like the opposite where instead of wrapping it up with a nice little bow, it's the bow was there. Well, I'm sure all these questions will be answered in Time Bandits, the TV show, when that comes out. Where they're going to be like, what's your name, kids? Your name is Kevin and you're by yourself. I'll call you Solo. For no, some that reason- is just look literally what they did in solo like that doesn't yeah, apply to yeah. this movie at all i thought maybe we could finish by talking a little bit about labyrinth because i can notice quite a few parallels between the two that it's like fantasy yeah like it's a, the, the main star is a, a kid and they're taken from like their humdrum life and their small parents home to a much larger fantastical world that is dangerous in some places and the big stars like david bowie and all the <laughs> Oh yeah, and Sean Connery in this. Yeah, I can see the parallels now. You got me at at David Bowie. And the the creature design, so the Jim Henson obviously did. Uh, Labyrinth and Terry Gilliam, I think there's a lot of his own effects, so the perspective stuff and the models, like the big guy with a ship on his head. Yeah, I mean, that's the best part. Those are the best parts of the movie is the the effects and um, Terry Gilliam's imagination. It's always the best part of the movie. Why do you think he's not doing that front to back? Because do you think he's just still developing as a filmmaker? Because this is only his second solo feature. It would be a bit overloading it I think if he did like continuously like effects and effects on top of effects like you have to save those right you have to savor those yeah his films are going to get better as they go along right like I'm pretty sure Brazil is seen uh, as one of the best science fiction movies of all time The Man Who Killed Don Quixote but that's a movie that you never you never get tired or bored watching it uh, so he's definitely improved 
while keeping in theme of like you know his imagination and comedy so i think he did get better and do you think that's more creative freedom or like more practice leading to be better or maybe like higher budgets meaning he can do more the higher budget might be true i know he was like dropped by a lot of distributors and studios because like for, for example the man who killed don quixote no one wanted to finance it because some of his movies are bombs like no you um, said this last time as well and i don't think it's true like time bandits made like eight times its budget 40 million and it cost five million okay i'll take the three movies that happened just before the man who killed don quixote just for the example much later in his career yeah but much later in his career his movies were mostly bombs tidelands uh that did horribly he spent 19 million canadian dollars and made 560 us dollars 60,000 sorry (laughs) it's just like five people his family saw the movie that's it the imaginarium of dr parnassus had like a 30 million oh i guess that did better never mind and then the zero theorem uh, did much worse actually in box office like 10 times worse so it's a hard life he's just you know he's got an imagination that's and uh i think he's one of those uh filmmakers that doesn't get trampled over and doesn't just become a yes man i don't know but i, I get what you mean about terry gilliam i don't think he's not a sellout like all his projects are passion project yeah exactly. and it's all his vision and like what he wants it to be no sequels which is sometimes to his detriment i think in in some cases but Let's get back to the movie. 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 Did you know George Harrison helped produce this? Because no one else wanted to. Who's George? Harrison again? It's one of the Beals. Paul. It's about a group of little people, Paul. And they go through time and James Bond's fucking in it. And the lady from the Shining. Oh, shit. We got to finance this, Paul. Do not send me <laughs> any fan mail from Time Bandits. Do not send me pictures of little people through the mail. They will be tossed. We've got a big stack of photographs and we need you to sign them. They're all of Time Bandit. I will not be signing any any photographs after the 20th of May. I'm warning you with peace and love, they will be tossed. Yeah, but I'm coming at you from a place of peace and love as well, you know. Love. That's what our band was all about, wasn't it? When we were together. All those young girls, George, how oh, so pretty. I wanted to rub our little ball cuts with their tiny fingers. That's what the band was all about. <laughs> Wait, which beetle are you doing? I'm <laughs> trying to do Paul. I thought I was doing Paul. Oh, I thought you were doing George Harrison. <laughs> I was doing Ringo before then. Hey, Ringo. Hi, Paul. Anyway, the boys from uh, from Monty Python, you know, and McGilliam and Palin, they've written this great film. Python? Monty, Monty Python. Mm. They're like us, they were like 60s icons mm. for their comedy. And one of them's written this great new film. You could say they're the Beatles of... Of, of film. You never remembered my name, Paul. <laughs> and what is it again, George? I know I'm only the second drummer, but you could at least 
try. Yeah. I thought we were friends, man. This was supposed to be a, what this was all about. Yeah, but you know what fame does, don't you? It tears us apart. I don't know what fame does, Paul. Well, maybe that's because I'm more famous than you, <laughs> you wee Liverpudlian bastard. I'm not sure you say Liverpudlian, Paul. Anyway, the boys on Monty Python have got a new film they're making. Okay. It's, it's a fantasy about imagination, and it's written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. I thought they made one, they made two already. Jabberwocky and the Holy Grail. Yeah, and Jabberwocky was great, wasn't it? Sure, Paul. What, did you not enjoy it? Did you not like the monster at the end and the subtle satire? Paul, I'm not sure it's subtle. I'm not sure we have the same definition of subtle. Uh, Anyway, this new one's about a bunch of little people and a fucking James Bond, isn't it? The woman from The Shining too. It's a fucking all-star cast, I tell you. How long of the movie are they on? The the boys, (laughs) the Pythons, they tell me that they're pretty much the stars, you know, they're in the whole thing book to front lots and lots of signs that certainly sounds like something you can get involved in paul so you're saying you don't want to invest then have you seen my paintings i've got a lot of work to get on i've got your baby to start drawing (laughs) is that real yeah it's a painting called your baby y-e-r baby stop drawing my fucking baby leave her alone no him them. I'm not drawing your baby. I'm drawing your baby. But that's the same fucking thing. Well, this was always why you were the girl's favorite, Paul. Anyway, so you you don't want to invest if I got that right. I'm I'm sorry, Paul. I've got. Can you just ask George? Yeah, you know what? He's not really doing anything, is he? Like you're gonna go on to be the fat controller in Thomas the Tank Engine, and I'm gonna work with fucking Kanye West. But who the fuck is Kanye West? I'll go get George to invest on this film. It's called Time Bandits. I'm just a drummer. <laughs> I think that would do, wouldn't it?